incredible stats. Like it's only about seven minutes a day where you're not assuming the worst. Um, you know, and a great study by the National Science Foundation to show that, you know, 85% of your thoughts are negative, 95% are the same as the day before, and only one to three percent of those will ever come true. You know, we're so negative, which makes us so cautious. Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. This series will be exploring real life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges life has thrown their way on the road to success. Each episode will offer a fresh outlook on life and business and you'll also get to hear top tips from these amazing founders that will inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie Longdon-Jefferson, and today I'm joined by Catherine Lewis, a creative scientist with a diverse background across genetics, psychology, neuroscience, and drama. Catherine has always been passionate about creativity and science in equal measure, and is on a mission to prove that when the two coexist, amazing things can happen. Alongside her work in academia and the media, Catherine is also the founder of Kinder Studios, a female-led studio colliding art and play with neuroscience to explore what lies beyond the horizon of human experience. And interdisciplinary at her core, Catherine is always turning her incredible mind to various projects. Her latest work, and something we talk about a lot in this episode, is her involvement in The Uncertainty Experts, an online interactive documentary designed to help you develop a new perspective and tools for tackling uncertainty. During our chat, Catherine and I talk about overcoming our innate fear of uncertainty, which I know is an issue for a lot of entrepreneurs, the qualities that make incredible leaders, and the amazing things that are happening inside our brains when we're making creative and business decisions. This conversation was so interesting and really encouraged me to take more risks in my life and business. I hope you find it just as inspiring. I mean, the stuff that we're going to get into today, I'm just absolutely fascinated (laughs) by. Um, So thank you so much for joining us, Catherine. Thank you for having me. This is, yeah, this is the start of the year for me. So it's a really exciting way to start. So Catherine, I mean, your experience is really broad and and really interesting. And I feel kind of meets in the middle of lots of different things that as entrepreneurs, we're really interested in. But can you just tell me a bit about your experience and kind of how you got into the world of science and creativity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd like to sort of say I partly fell into it and sort of, but but when I sort of mentor people now, I try to make that much more coherent. And I say I was just exploring things I was really passionate <laughs> <Yeah>. about. Because <laughs> you know? they don't want to hear that it was just an accident. It really sort of, I guess, started at, at school when I was told outright there was no way I could do English and biology and that this was completely absurd and you couldn't do creativity and science. They just weren't bedfellows. And so I sort of, it really confused me for a long time. I ended up actually going down the science route. I was at Oxford and then UCL doing all my postgrad in human sciences. I was fascinated by humans, but I still really loved this whole idea about how, how creativity sort of was also this exploration of the world, but they weren't allowed to play. You know, you're not allowed to be creative as a scientist, which is terrible. You were once, but, but you can't. So I sort of decided to go on this mission to bring those two sides back together. I sort of quit my PhD. I went to drama school to explore that world I came back into science communications basically sort of on this mission to connect the two sides because the thing I was most aware of was that there's incredible insight and research going on in academic sort of labs 
that never reaches the public domain. And that's science that really can just help us live better lives. And at the same time, scientists just aren't allowed to be creative and they, you know, they've no idea. And, and just being creative can expand your knowledge of the world and the questions you ask. So that's how I came round to eventually uh, founding my own female-led studio called Kinder Studios, uh, which bridges the arts and the sciences. And we, the, sort of, the aim is to accelerate insight out of the labs into the public domain through sort of creative projects of various types. And when you say creativity, because I think that it's really important to recognise that I think a lot of people, they hear the word creativity and they think of the arts or the drama, but actually a lot of it is to do with creative thinking you know and I think that can be applied to so many different areas of our life and our business absolutely it's been really interesting working in the domain of creativity and business because actually creativity ladders straight into things like problem solving you know and that's something that's very you know very necessary in, in the business sense and also we have things like you know in a way creativity can be linked to empathy you know being able to imagine yourself and other people's situations and that can be incredibly important in business and then you've got things like sort of future planning and speculative future you know and that's all about your creative thinking but any sort of inspiration idea that you have is about pulling different ideas together and then coming up with something new which sort of in this day and age is absolutely vital to be agile to get ahead all those things you know we're all creative we have that capacity in our brain we're just told that we can't be totally and I think you're right like when you come up with a new business idea you know, you might not think you're a creative person and you might think, oh, I can't do the graphic design or I can't do, you know, these classically creative things. But I think any entrepreneur is creative, you know, innately because you're creating a new thing. You're, you're problem solving, like yeah. you said, you're, you're imagining something that's not there and seeing how you could fit into the market. So I think whenever we have conversations on the podcast about creativity, I always like to make that clear because I think some people can just tune out and say, That's not me. A bit like you were told at school, right? You know, okay, no, I'm a tech entrepreneur, for example. So creativity doesn't matter. But actually, it's so, so valuable if we do allow those worlds to collide. Yeah, it's absolutely vital. The ability to see things from different perspectives is is Mm. key to sort of us expanding our worlds, coming up with new ideas. You know, and our brain has every single one of us is born with that, with that. We can all imagine things and think about things in the past and and be open to new ideas. And it's about combining those and really actually having the confidence to be like, okay, this is a new idea. You know, Mm. it's not not that's been done before. We get very scared of new ideas because, you know, we get social socially validated for, for, you know, concurring with other people. And if you go out on a limb, it's very hard to feel that you're part of a group if you've got a new idea. So there's a base of battle in our head by saying we want to conform, 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 because that makes us feel safe in a sort of social way. But at the same time, going out on a limb, you know, being a pioneer is amazing. You know, we need that. And that's why they think things like curiosity evolved in our brain to help us push ourselves beyond our sort of comfort zone. Yeah. And I think, you know, talking about the comfort zone and I know uncertainty is something we wanted to talk about today. And it's something you, I guess, specialize in nowadays. And that's a a route that you've gone down. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your work with the uncertainty projects and how that all came about and how it links to what you've been doing over the last few years? Yes, well, it nearly didn't because my sort of New Year's resolution of 2020 was was to work with no more white men. That was going to be my, (laughs) you know, and I have this sort of female led studio and and we obviously work with men as well. Uh, but my co-founder is female and we just it was born out of the fact that we really en- really enjoyed an environment of females um, or women. And so I sort of got a call from somebody saying, you know, can can Sam can talk to you? And I knew him from Be More Pirate and Liberty and, and his background there. And he's an amazing social entrepreneur. 
So I was like, oh, okay. Um, and he was coming to me with, with a project he was doing based around uncertainty. And what he had really identified is that the sort of meta-narrative of, of this time is uncertainty. And even just this year, we see the word suddenly appearing everywhere. And was, and was he, that in the pandemic? Sorry, I'm just trying to get the timing right. Or was it just yeah, before? It was in the pandemic. It was the first right, year of the okay, pandemic. Okay. I've um, forgotten so we, what years or what now. It's all been <laughs> It was somewhere, it could have been seven years ago, a hundred years ago. <laughs> so I like date-wise, I think it was early 2020. Um, right, so right at the start of this unprecedented time. Oh God, I don't know, wait, we've been doing it for a year. No, it was early 2021. It was a year okay, ago, so we're, almost today. We're full on into the pandemic at this <laughs> yeah. point, And we've been talking about these unprecedented times and uncertainty for a year but then you know this has come out of that I suppose then because I think there was a huge pressure you know everyone was lying about doing lots of yoga and everyone was sort of you know drinking morning wine instead but I think there was this huge pressure especially for businesses everyone had to pivot and innovate and that was a terrifying thing because actually we were exhausted we didn't know what was going to happen you know there's a scale called the uncertainty index by a guy called it here and it shows that this is the most uncertain time in all of history and that's not because uh, the world is any more uncertain you know the world's always been uncertain you know ask any buddhist and they're like well that's you know that's the thing isn't it um but because our worlds are bigger so we are faced with more uncertainties at all times we have more connection bigger worlds more you know modern living digital things coming at us more information Mm -hmm. So every moment is based with more sort of choices, uh, information, decisions to make, whether that's internal uncertainty or external, you know, on a sort of company level. And I think what Sam has identified really well and the science, and he wanted to talk about the science behind it. A lot of my work of the last year, because of the pandemic, I'm affiliated with a place like the Brain Labs at UCL, had been looking at well-being, but well-being more in a sort of how can we step up at this point when we feel really exhausted? What's ha- what is stress, isolation and uncertainty doing to our nervous systems? What does that mean mm. for our brains and our productivity? You know, and how do we actually get out of this? And uncertainty is actually the key driver of anxiety, because what mm. we noticed is that, that when you hit uncertainty, your brain can pass. Our brains hate uncertainty. It makes us very unsafe in a very traditional way. So the automatic reaction is fear. And that becomes a very limiting feeling. It shuts us down. However, the other potential path that you can go down only in uncertainty, not in certain times, is one of sort of opportunity, innovation and plasticity. Mm. Your brain becomes really open. It goes, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to gather more information and I'm going to come up with new decisions. And, and that's why sometimes you can highly innovate in times of uncertainty. But people weren't. And, and what Sam had done is, is gone out and interviewed an amazing range of people who had lived through intense uncertainty from sort of gang leaders who had changed their life around to people who had been incarcerated, to prisoners of war, to refugees, to try and work out how they managed to embrace uncertainty. And what we did with the, with the project is we started to look at the science behind these people and work out, could you work out what was happening in their brains and then teach those as a skill set to people to shift their mindset to enable us all to embrace uncertainty so we developed or he developed a a three-part sort of documentary a bit like a sort of interactive workshop in which you heard the stories because storytelling is so powerful um, of of the experts and then we worked with an empathy designer or a psychologist uh, to come up with these reflective questions that you answer through the series with sort of in-between content uh, to try and 
give you the tools to tackle uncertainty and understand the importance of it. And for me, the real coup of it was, was that we went to UCL to their decision-making lab, uncertainty decision-making lab, and we tested people because there is a test, a scientific test for how well you handle uncertainty, your uncertainty tolerance, called your need for closure scale. And we thought, what if we could do all of this as an intervention, test people before and after and prove scientifically that it was shifting their ability to handle uncertainty, thereby reducing anxiety and allowing them to be more innovative in the workplace or even in their personal life. And we actually, we did about 3,000 people for last year and scientifically proved that it worked through the power of storytelling, through these sort of skill sets. Um, So it was amazing. And so for me, it was just a perfect opportunity, despite swearing that I wouldn't work with any men in 2021. (laughs) It was a perfect opportunity to actually take things out of the lab and apply them in the real world. So that's how it all came about. And we're sort of, you know, continuing now this year with with the first series and and the second series. It's been quite a journey. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It sounds so fascinating. So I guess through that, or maybe I'm sure, like you said, there've been studies that have done before. You obviously really Mm -hmm. dove deep into it with this project. Biologically or neurologically, I don't know what the right term is, actually. What is happening to our brains when we are faced with uncertainty? What's going on up there? Well, the first thing is our brains, there's a great, if you want to get into neuroscience, go to a book called Being Used by Anil Seth, because it's a really good read and he's, he's amazing. And he's been working on this idea that our brains are just prediction machines. Uh, it sounds a bit mm. base, uh, but we're constantly, the environment we're involved in, we wanted to stay safe at all times. And so we like to predict what happens next. And when we can't predict it well, we get that sort of sick feeling of cognitive dissonance. And in times of uncertainty, it's really hard to predict. And we base our predictions, unfortunately, on past experiences with a very heavy negativity bias, which makes us super wow. cautious. Okay. Um, and that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we give about, uh, well, 10 times more weight to negative things and negative future possibilities than positive. But that's shifted in the modern world to about 200, you know, and that's incredible stats. Like it's only about seven minutes a day where you're not assuming the worst. Um, you know, oh, and a wow. great study by the National Science Foundation to show that, you know, 85% of your thoughts are negative, 95% are the same as the day before, and only 1% to 3% of those will ever come true. You know, we're so negative, which makes us so God. cautious. But you one can't of the see my we... face because it's a podcast, <laughs> but I'm like so shocked and also just like, what? it's just, it's sad. It's really upsetting to know it, that that is what's going really on. It really limits us. You know, yeah. we're faced with fear, we're faced with uncertainty and the f- very visceral fear response happens, you know, and you can feel that chemically in your body. You feel a bit nervous, your breathing goes. And the the, the bad thing is we then, our, our default reaction is to get that feeling to go away, get the uncertainty to go away. And because right. you can't often control these things, um, you know, it'd be great if we all went, let's innovate our way out of this, but you feel a bit sick. And so you reach for something to make you feel safe. And that tends to be things like, procrastination, uh, wine, chocolate, uh, mm. you know, avoidance, any of those things to sort of get rid of that feeling. But those are these sort of short term fixes. Um, so what we've been doing as a project is teaching people to recognize that fear response, uh, understand it, because all the experts that we that we interviewed, they feel fear, but they know what it is. And they can they can go, OK, that's a, a negative biased response trying to keep me safe. Okay, I park that there. I'm not going to just react. I'm going to take a moment and think how to respond. And it's amazing how you can conquer your fear. You won't get Mm. rid of it. But over time through exposure, you get very good at just handling it and going, thank you very much for that information, body. I'm now going to do this anyway. 
And that's sort of the first step. And when you're listening to the stories from these people, like you said, a really broad range of backgrounds, Do you see that? Is that something that they have taught themselves or are some people innately better, better, quote unquote, at dealing with this stuff? Or, you know, what kind of shapes how how easy we find it to deal with uncertainty? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because we, we looked at the response in sort of three sections that you go through. You go through fear and then you go through a fog of not knowing what to do. Fear makes you want to avoid. Fog makes you want to just double down on your beliefs and shut everyone out. And then stasis means you sort of don't move. And we looked at how to reverse those because the uncertainty experts were very good at in fear, still staying calm. In fog, actually, rather than shutting down, looking for new ideas, going out to people, being outside their comfort zone. And then stasis, they actually imagined different futures and went, what do I want to do? Let's have a plan out of here. Um, but there are different factors. And obviously, some are, some are sort of, we're, we're born with different personality traits. But what we found is that the need for closure scale, which judges your uncertainty tolerance, is movable. People can shift along that scale. And with the experts, it was often a shift that was sort of forced through them by extreme circumstances. But what we've seen is that by understanding how you respond to uncertainty, you can shift yourself, you can shift that mindset and you shift your tolerance. Now, obviously, there's sort of interesting factors within that. And culturally, you know, some some people are more culturally afraid of failure than others. You know, what was interesting there was we weighed it up with people who all said they're afraid of failure, but also all said, 90% also said their greatest fear was regretting missed opportunity. So, you know, Mm. you have to reframe those. Um, And also what we did find, which I thought was rather lovely, was that, you know, everybody is suffering from this, whether it's literally uncertainty, whether someone's, you know, going to call you back for that date, or whether it's a huge organisational uncertainty, the reaction is actually always the same. And the tools to get out of it is always the same as well, which was quite amazing, actually. Were there any stories that really stood out for you from from that documentary? Were there any people that you really saw had gone through something incredibly inspiring and kind of sort of come out the other side and faced their fear and, and really grown from that? There was, there was, there was, Resgardi is an amazing one of the experts. And, um, you know, she was born in a refugee camp and, and now, you know, spent her whole childhood, sort of early years, always on the move. And she's now an incredible, very young, but incredible human rights lawyer. And I think what really, really resonated with me with her story, which sort of goes with everything I believe and everything I study, is her big thing was, was understanding that we're not alone in this. And I think it speaks mm. to sort of the point I've just answered, we really, that, that we're not alone. And I know scientifically that when we do things together, we are stronger. We produce things like oxytocin that makes us bond. We, you know, our immune system is stronger. And that idea that what was lovely about the series is that we did it live. Um, the first with the pilot last year, we did it live. And actually the connection that people had was incredibly powerful. And we found that people were sort of forming groups. And then six weeks after, their ability to embrace uncertainty, because we tested them sort of a longitudinal test six mm. weeks after, was still going up. So I think that was really, really inspiring. And there was another woman called Morgan Godfin um, who had been charged with her best friend's death after a sort of an accident, a drugs accident, in fact, and had gone to prison. She got out just before the pandemic, in fact, <laughs> rather ironically. But her ability to reframe her negativity bias, she called it looking at the, for the bright spots, was incredible. And, you know, it's called in in science or psychology, cognitive restructuring, that ability when negativity bias is telling you that the bad thing's going to happen, to be able to reframe it and think, okay, is this an objective fact? What evidence do I have? You know, what's the opportunity here? 
And actually by focusing on opportunity over time, you start to rewire your brain to automatically look for the positive. And that's amazing. That motivation is amazing to helping you get through uncertainty to that, to that place of innovation that we all want to get to. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so interesting with the the stories you just told there. Because I think as you were talking earlier and you were talking about this, we look back for negative experiences to kind of, you know, that's what we cling to. So I was thinking, okay, so if you've had a really tough childhood or even just a tough period of your life, I'm thinking, gosh, I'm sure that must be even harder to face those fears and get over that uncertainty. But actually, it sounds like sometimes those experiences can actually become a bit of a superpower in teaching you that you can overcome that stuff. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you use the word superpower, because lots of people um, use this word superpower. They said they sort of felt like they had a superpower. And it is it is amazing how, now we asked, um, we took the quality of data, we asked people a lot of questions, and it was completely anonymized, uh, but it went to UCL for their research. And that data, when it was analyzed um, by the researchers there, it was amazing how every single person, you know, of thousands had all had some some sort of struggle. You know, I think the, the thing is that life is tough. And and it doesn't have to be, you know, being born in a refugee camp. It can also just be the, the struggles of being a modern, you know, being in the human world. And, you know, I think compassion is really important. You know, scientifically, it's very important as well, uh, you know, for people. It's, it's interesting that there's a there's a sort of feeling that women suffer from anxiety and handle uncertainty better. But then there's also, I think, this sort of common thing that we're, we're tougher um, mm. because we're better at, at handling things. And been an interesting year anxiety definitely is recorded higher in women and uncertainty definitely is one of the key drivers of anxiety the reasons why are not entirely sure one is because they think that women are more prone to internal rumination we tend to Mm. act less on our on our negative feelings you know and this is a terrible stereotype and it's not about saying you know man's more likely to sort of get frustrated and and hit a wall whereas women will just worry about in the head and that's a huge generalization but you know culturally men have been often taught to act more and women think more and that is you know that is definitely changing and that is a total stereotype that is, that is not a blanket at all um the other thing is is that women often have forms where they can talk about their anxiety mm-hmm. and worries so men will have the same level of anxiety they just don't vocalize it as well and also sure. there's sort of there are bigger problems like climate change will affect women in many areas more than men um you know they are more vulnerable in certain ways you know, and they're often having to work in business in a man's world, which is an added pressure that a man doesn't have to work because he's in his own world. Um, sure. So I think that that also all contributes to this idea. And I also wonder, you know, and again, I feel like even, like you said, we can't say generalizations and stereotypes because I think we're all trying to move away from that. But mm. if we talk about maybe just more empathetic, deep thinkers, and sometimes yeah. that does tend to be women, but it could be men yeah. as well. I'm kind of imagining that, that risk-taking side of people, which I guess if someone is a risk-taker, then they are, well, maybe you'll tell me differently, but I imagine if someone's a risk-taker, they must be pretty comfortable with uncertainty to kind of go, right, this might not pay off, this might not work, but I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to go there anyway. But it sounds like if you are a deep thinker or you are, you know, looking outside of yourself and looking at the wider world or how it might affect other people, then can that conversation inside our heads of all the things that could go wrong, is that why maybe we're not taking those risks? Yeah, absolutely, because that's when the sort of negativity bias comes in as well. And that voice in your head 
feels very, very real, but it is biased. You know, we do one of the tests we, we, we do on people when they take the anti expert. It's a range of, of, of tests, and one is called the BART risk test. And you sort of have to blow up a balloon till it pops. It's terrifying and delightful all at once. And also very rudimental, considering this is like the greatest scientist <laughs> in the world. So I know science can be depressingly simple. Um, and it is interesting to look at, you know, men and women and, and how they respond. Because the thing that's really interesting is, is women tend to ha- have more of the internal superpowers which help you in uncertainty naturally, not because of our biology, but because of our culture. So some of the things we've looked at about how to help you handle fear in uncertainty um, is two things. And one is called interoception, which will be the buzzword. It's not even the spell check yet. It will be the buzzword, I promise you, of, of the next year and maybe the year after. So interoception is our ability to recognize physical signals of emotions. So that heart wow. palpitation when you feel yeah. fear or butterflies in your stomach. I mean, it's also any physical sensation at all. Um, and what happens if you have very good interoception, if you have very bad interoception, it tends to lead to almost every single mental illness. It seems to be at the bottom of every mental illness, this wow. un- inability to recognize the signals from our body and our emotion. If you've got very good interoception, you tend to be able to go, okay, this feeling here is fear. Why am I afraid? Is this rational? All of that. It's basically connected to your body. The sort of the flip side of that is called embodied cognition. And that's about going into environments where you just sense something is wrong or you sense mm. something is right. That's sort of spidey sense. Um, and now we're realizing that both of those things ladder up to much better decision making than not being connected to your body or not listening to your body. Um, and when you get really good at it, you start to get very accurate at what it what it means. And women tend to be better at those things. They're more often, and this is again another generalization, but in, in the tests done, women are coming out higher and athletes actually, because they're, they're used to their body. Sure. You know? um, and I think, you know, potentially some theories are it's because women are more attuned to the way their body changes, you know, from everything from, you know, pregnancy through to menopause, we are more physically connected to the changes that we have every month. Yeah. Uh, but it's an incredible skill for helping you actually learn the tools to escape uncertainty. So we've got a sort of head start. <laughs> and I, and I, yeah, and I think that's where things like, well-being and yoga and mindfulness you know all of those practices I guess are nurturing that mind-body connection of understanding what's going on and but then it's I guess and we talk a lot about listening to your gut and Mm. I think something that in fact conversations I've had on this podcast has really made me understand is there's listening to your gut and like metaphorically and your intuition but then also sometimes maybe your initial intuition is telling you that's scary don't go there that's more of like an evolutionary (laughs) physical response and it's like is this my intuition or is this my anxiety and they're two different things and it must be really hard to understand the difference because they kind of do feel the same at one point but how do we yeah how do we not have a knee-jerk reaction to our physical it's like you said it's that decision-making process of like noticing thinking, rationalizing, and like yeah. kind of going through those steps. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly that. And that is the, the problem you have. So interoception is the ability to feel your your, your body and and contributes massively to your, to your well-being, mental health, and decision-making ability. Mm. Um, you can have awareness, and you can also have accuracy. So some people are highly aware, but when you do get a bit nervous and your heart beats faster, that freaks you out even more, and you right. sort of spiral out of control. 
And it really is about getting your accuracy better. And that is exactly that. So that's about, you know, Res Gardi again talks about how she has this sixth sense. Um, and she does the best thing after every situation. She sits down, it's called metacognition, and she reflects on what she was thinking and what she was feeling and why, and was she right or not? And you kind of actually fine tune it that way. So, you know, the reaction is always going to be fear-based. But if you take a moment and pause, and then you reflect on it, knowing, of course, that you have a negativity bias. But, you know, if you're starting to counter that, think, was I right? Was I wrong? And over time, you, you found and this is something that the experts have all had to do because there have been, you know, people who have been continuously in very dangerous situations. Um, they've started to, through a sort of series of reflection, think, OK, I was right. OK, I was I was wrong. You know, and that's allowed us into to those exercises that you that you get on mindfulness and well-being of, of reflection and emotional diaries and what did I feel and, and what actually happened. But you can you can actually improve massively your intuition with reflection, you know. Mm. But we don't ever take reflection. You know, I'm terribly I can't sit down for 20 minutes. Reflection, I just go, you know, I can't do it. So I get on a yoga mat and, and have to work. <laughs> totally. And I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine you know, we're talking about confidence and uncertainty. So where does confidence come into this? Because I'm kind of thinking that we have uncertainty, almost like external, you know, like it's certainly what's going on in the world. And and then I guess we have not feeling certain about our abilities or, you know, our self, maybe low self-esteem. So how, where's the intersection of confidence and uncertainty? And what can we do to nurture that? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I sort of, um, you know, I've, I've always been quite sort of, extrovert person but inside I've always thought I was an incredibly unconfident shy person because I think that's my in, in, internal performance sort of persona and as a my nickname as a kid although I didn't actually know this for a long time was Wednesday after Wednesday Adams <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of in two minds as to whether I think that's cool or not um <laughs> I was the, I wouldn't say free to a ghost like I really couldn't um and and it was one of my first masters was was I called it the science of Beyonce because I and then obviously it being an academic masters they changed the title to something like you know <laughs> social interaction and group affiliation or something boring uh, because I was amazed at how people could walk into a room and be really confident um, and the most interesting thing that that I remember learning in that part of, of my journey was everyone's a little fake it till you make it and I'm like oh, it doesn't help. Something really interesting about the way that the mind works and, and imagination works, um, because the mind doesn't always know what's real or what's not, what's imagined or what's not. Um, and in the same way in the uncertainty experts, we were teaching people in that sort of third part of stasis to em emotionally inhabit future different scenarios and not just imagining it, feel what it's like to be there, which kind of goes down to the root of real sort of intention setting, even manifestation, even um, mindfulness. And then notice how your body reacts. Because if you're imagining really well and you're really emotionally feeling it, your body will react as if it was there. So that's really useful if you want to if you want to try and make decisions and you're trying to decide between different different choices. But it's also great if, let's say, you have a talk coming up and you're terrified. If you mentally imagine yourself being there and it going really, really well and feeling with your body what it feels like. When you come out of that sort of imaginarium, your mind actually thinks you've done it because it doesn't know if it's real or not. Your mind hasn't got a clue. It's just getting information from you. And so you start to act like someone who just did that really, really well. And you feel more confident and you act more confident. Your body language will be more confident and people respond to you in a really confident way. So I think there's something really interesting about you don't have to be confident to do it, but you have to you know, have a really positive future thinking as well. 
And so when it comes to uncertainty, I think it's, sort of, it's partly confidence, but it's mainly partly, you know, understanding your, you know, your reactions, your responses. Um, and how do you, you know, how do you as a, as a person be able to own that and master your own mind? And when you're, I love that you're, you know, you're talking about kind of manifestation and visualization and these things that I think sometimes get put in the woo-woo category yeah. of spirituality and stuff. And I think there's a lot of value in that. But actually, it does sound there's a lot of science and neurological stuff going on when you do those things that can actually really help you turn uncertainty into a superpower. Oh, totally. I mean, we worked, um, the lead researcher at UCI was a guy called Dr. Avi Bilovich, an amazing guy who works on uncertainty decision-making. Uh, and their new theory is called conviction narrative theory. And it is exactly that, imagining different futures, emotionally imagining yourself there, feeling how you feel, and it gives you a much better decision basis than just your mind alone. And it, it does link to, you know, to manifestation. And, you know, we did a lot of work talking to Buddhist monks and people like that, all this ancient wisdom. But for me, it was always about what is the science behind it? And I think my favorite bit of the brain, if I if I had to choose, it'd be tough, uh, <laughs> is the RAS, which is it's called the reticular activation system. And it's a tiny bit of your brain. And it's kind of the doorkeeper to your conscious mind because you have about 60,000 bits of information flying at your head at any time. And you can only really cope with being aware, consciously aware, giving your attention to about 30, 40, 50. So what comes in and what gets put out is down to the RAS. So it's like a dormant at the club. Now, there's some things that will always let, it, let in, like your name being called, you always hear. It goes, yeah, that's important. Anything to do with sex, yes. That's why it's so distracting when like pretty people come past. Um, <laughs> but you can train it. You can tell it what you want it to let in. And that's where there's this wow. overlap with manifestation. By, you know, that's sort of by things that, they, that's why like mood boards actually have a slight basis by intentionally thinking about a future that you want to go to something that's really important to you, writing it down on a piece of paper so it's on your wall. You tell your RAS every time you see anything to do with this, be it, you know, um, someone talking about it, an opportunity, alert me, alert me, tap me on the shoulder. Um, and that's how when you, you really intentionally do this mindfulness, you prime your RAS to notice the things that are important to you reaching your goal. And so that's why, you know, it's the same reason if you hear a song once, you sort of hear it everywhere. Because if you really mm. like it, you're always like, oh, that's important. I'll let you know every time I'm hearing it in the shop. But it's incredibly powerful when it comes to that intentional sort of moving through uncertainty towards a goal that you really want. Because your brain will help you if you prime it. That's fascinating. I just love that. And and and, I, and does those sorts of practices and and that kind of thing does that then also help override that negative bias slightly you know so if you're thinking yeah. of a this thing that you want to do and then that negative bias is coming in being like it's all going to fail if you've been training your brain to go actually no it's not it's going to go really well is that where we can kind of overcome the uncertainty yeah absolutely because what you can wow. also do is that as you can train it to be more positive to look you know as Morgan Godwin one of the experts says to look for the bright spots Mm. you know and after a while it it thinks that's important to you so we'll always bring it to the fore that opportunity and, and over time we see so it's called neuroplasticity the rewiring of the brain you know the brain wires different habits into it so rather than you know looking for the negative it will look for the positive you know and there's wonderful studies done on, on the brains of, of buddhist monks and how they're completely rewired to be you know highly joyful highly at peace you know they're really at peace with uncertainty but also can be incredibly innovative um, and you know that's what then you can take back into the sort of you know the business arena and have mm. as your superpower that's amazing and I, I guess as well I'm sort of thinking 
can we, you know, as you said, th- this project came out of the pandemic. We've been talking about uncertainty for two years now. Um, mm. Do we all have uncertainty fatigue right now? Because I certainly feel like it's hard to be brave and to find those bright spots and to, you know, all that sort of stuff that we're talking about when this last two years has just been, you couldn't even get excited about a holiday. You couldn't get excited about your friend's birthday next week. Everything is like, and I'm definitely speaking from personal experience, you know, it felt like you just didn't get excited or think, be optimistic about anything because the rug is being pulled from under our feet every week. Yeah, um, I was. So what's I, that I mean, done to our brain? I'm known as the sort of uh, you know radical optimism, and and by the end of saying yeah, I was just like I don't feel very happy anymore. <laughs> you know, and that that comes from me knowing knowing that I actually nothing really bad happened to me, and I you know I had a great time. Yeah. This this fatigue is is genuine, uh, and it's come about on sort of different different sort of levels, and and one is a sort of adrenal fatigue from from being in that fear response to uncertainty. You know, and that's the first thing that that we want to teach people is it's actually it's about a reset. You know, and when we feel fear, our body fills with adrenaline, our sympathetic nervous system goes off. They're incredibly draining things. And having that fear of uncertainty, you know, at a low level in our brain, it's like having your, you know, your phone still on. It's, it's draining our battery. Attention is a limited resource. And if so much of it is full up with pandemics. And interestingly, the brain, the RAS, also the dormant, always lets in anything to do with disease or illness because that's quite important oh, wow. to survival. So it's constantly, we're constantly being tapped on the shoulder to listen to that, to listen to that. And brain fog is, you know, it's a very real thing. It's a depletion of energy and attention, you know, and spare in bandwidth in the brain. And stress, again, you know, stress is a huge killer. It takes a physical toll on us. Isolation as well, without social contact, you know, again, loneliness is incredibly bad for the body and the mind. So we really have, you know, run down. Um, and so it's not quite the uncertainty that, that's got us. It's been our maladaptive response to it. So what we're trying to teach people to do is actually reset that so that the fear response, you know, doesn't take a hold of your body so that you're not lost in this draining fog. Um, but you do need to recharge. I mean, I was very, I'd say very lucky to get, to get COVID on the 2nd of, the 2nd of January, but it, for the first time ever, forced me into radical rest. Um, mm. You know, I had to rest and I realised I hadn't. And it's a combination of the fact that we don't have the normal, um, you know, you don't leave the office at the end of the day. So you don't have that recharge. You know, our brains are permanently whirring over and we're very run down. And I think to start this year, you know, my recommendation to anybody, especially in terms of productivity um, for businesses and things like that, radical rest is really important now because what we need to do before we sort of launch into, into the next year and embrace uncertainty is recharge our systems, you know, clear yeah. all the adrenaline out of our systems, uh, give ourselves and brains a chance to, to heal and then start again. You know, I think it's really important right now to realise we just need, in, in all in the animal kingdom, when you've had a huge amount of stress, it's short-lived and then the animal goes and like feeds and sleeps. You know, we've mm. had like a two-year crisis. We, we need to like feed and sleep now and then stand back up and go, okay, right, I'm ready. And then hopefully we'll have the, you know, the tools hoping to reach as many people as possible with with this project to go okay this time around uncertainty is not going away but this time around I'm not going to let it drain my system I'm not going to let it limit me I'm going to actually do what we were trying to do a year ago and pivot out of this in sort of extraordinary innovation and agility but yeah compassion first (laughs) yeah totally and with you know with business I think everything you're saying really resonates to me as a business owner where I feel like when we're in the corporate world you know there's a little less uncertainty maybe and we're sort of you know we can kind of keep going and maybe there's a promotion that we're going for 
But mm. as founders, you know, every decision is, a, a lot of it is on our shoulders, a lot of taking risks. So how can getting better at dealing with uncertainty just really help founders flourish? Yeah, I think it's, um, the interest, main thing I really loved about, about uncertainty and, and people's ability to tackle it was the way that it sort of helped you on a personal level, but then also helped you on like an organizational level. And I think, first of all, there's a difference between sort of uncertainty and risk. So risk is always okay. something that's calculable. Uh, and people get them confused. And I think risk is something that you can really have this sort of um, control over. And you can make, you know, you have information. Uncertainty is really when there's no information and you just can't call it. Right. It's that sort of, you know, fog in front of you. And as this index showed, the world, you know, is currently sort of highly, highly uncertain. And I think the fear, first thing is the fear response is very personal. Like everybody has a fear response and that's just in your body. But that idea, you know, we talk about fear, fog and stasis. Fog is at a company level. It's that the old, the old models of the world, the old ways of thinking don't work. So what comes next, you know? And a very natural reaction in the body is to get rid of that unsettled swampy, you know, I'm in the middle of a swamp and, like, and I'm just vomiting swamp water feeling and double down on what you've done before. That's the first sort of trap. Mm. Um, you know, if you're ever going to get to moving out of stasis, you've got to handle the fog. And I think that's probably the thing that hits at a company level, especially as a founder, when you're meant to be sort of leading people through this swamp and you don't know what's upside, you know, down and up. Sure. And the trick really there that we found from uncertainty um, is about openness. So, you know, people don't want to, you know, let go of control. Absolutely. Because, you know, you've got to be controlling risk. You've got to be in charge openness can really you can still be on the front foot and in the driving seat but incredibly open and knowing that in uncertainty you are more able to absorb new information you are more able you know your brain to, to have new ideas um and i think that's incredibly important there was an amazing study by a guy called hetlock and he took like 200 uh, great ceos and he tried to get them to predict the future and then his control originally was monkeys throwing darts at a, a dartboard to try and predict the future. But that was obviously shut down because that's highly cruel and not okay. <laughs> um, so he came up with some random algorithm. And over 20 years, he studied them, all these business leaders. And he was like, what, 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 what quality is it that helps them make good predictions for their company? And they were no better overall than the monkeys, unfortunately. But there were a few people he called the super predictors who were very, very good at it. And so he looked, what is it these people had? And he looked at, was it the amount of money they're making? Was it status? Was it age? Was it you know, experience? None of the demographics uh, correlated until he found one demographic. And it was, it was um, sort of humility and open-mindedness, lack of ego and open-mindedness. Wow. And that one quality uh, meant that these people made incredible predictions for their business. And it was, it was exactly that in the fog of uncertainty, rather than sort of, not want to say that they had doubt or not wanting to say that mm. they didn't know they were like okay we don't know let's find out this is a great mm. opportunity to go and you know one of the the answer the experts is an amazing neuroscientist um transgender woman called dr ming and she you know had a huge personal struggle herself but she, she looked uncertainty and you know the importance of in that moment doing things like violating your stereotypes go find people who are not like you and talk mm. to them, get a range of perspectives and be open to, to, to actually getting new information. And that does ladder into making really good predictions about where you should be going. That's amazing. 
And I think so refreshing as well, because I think people, if people were asked to assume what those factors would be, I don't think humility would be yeah. one that you think is going to connect incredible CEOs. But I think that's wonderful to know that actually that that in itself can be a superpower in yeah. helping you make amazing business decisions. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you said that taking risks and uncertainty is different, but what if someone is sort of kind of, and we'll come on to your top tips in a minute, actually, where we might, mm-hmm. we might kind of cover this off, but I know there'll be a lot of people listening that are kind of maybe looking at their year goals and they're sort of thinking, okay, well, if I do that and I do that and I do this, but I don't know how that's going to turn out, you know, yeah. and then that fear is just, and that fog is kind of, and then people just don't go for their dreams essentially because they are uncertain of whether the outcome is going to be positive or negative yeah so can these can these skills and everything we've been talking about can that help people just get over that hurdle of fear and just go for something that they're passionate about yeah absolutely and I think this has been probably the outcome of of the pilot last year was it was amazing really people writing in being like I've gone for that job promotion I you know I did that and it and it all worked out you know really life-changing things and you know I think we hate to admit, but we know often how much we're limited by our own fear. You know, I know personally, I really had it as, as a problem. And it was a thing I least like to admit, because you don't want to admit yeah. that you're the only the person getting in your own way. It feels horrible. Um, but actually, it was a really interesting thing. And then I was like, how do I get out of my own way? And so I think in this sort of, you know, probably one of the actual top tips would be about reframing failure. So, so you're right, there's always a risk in launching into uncertainty. And what we found is that fear of failure is one of the most limiting risks that we have. And it makes sense because, you know, the way our brains evolved, we didn't survive well on our own. We survived Mm. really well in groups. And so you had to prove to that group that you were successful, you were a great member of that group. So our fear of failure is really ingrained into us. And then it's culturally ingrained into us as well. And then, in Mm. you know, there's very few you know, uh, comedy cultures, which are like, right, well, you know, Zuckerberg, like, fail, fail, fail. But does he really mean that? You know, could you really fail? And say, you know, to your boss, I'm just going to fail today, just to let you know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but what, you know, what, what we know is that fear of failure also has a massive negativity bias. And, and back to that to the National Science Foundation stat that they did a study, they looked at people's fear of, of failure. And you know, with most people of all their fears, only one to three percent of those fears ever came to or they ever failed. And out of those, 80 percent of people said that most people, none of their none of their things came to at all. You know, so it's about reframing failure and understanding it has a negative bias. It's not necessarily going to come true. And also, you know, that that the greatest regret that people always talk about, you know, when you do the science study is missed opportunity. And if you don't go for it, then you have you know, you've missed the opportunity as well. We're really Amazing. good at failing. We're really good at failing. Um, we're, we're born to, we're born being very well able to adapt to failure. It's just the social stigma that we have to get past. Fantastic. Right. A, a couple of top tips to just finish off is what can people do if they're really feeling overwhelmed by uncertainty? Yeah, I think the first thing is, is be aware that that's okay. And that we are all overwhelmed by uncertainty. And that what you're having is a very natural fear response. Uh, and start small. You know, amazingly, the best cure for uncertainty is uncertainty itself. 
Uh, but don't try and like tackle the big one first. Try and notice what happens when you're faced with uncertainty and notice in your body, you'll have a fear response. What does that drive you to want to do? Normally, it's what we call safety behaviors. It's something that just gets you away from the problem, whether that's burying yourself in emails, being a martyr to someone else's cause um, or a glass of wine. Once you recognize that, you know how you're reacting and then you have the power to respond differently. And you go, OK, this is what this is. How do I respond? But start small. And then, you know, exposure theory works for uncertainty. It's a very famous sort of fear phobia based based uh, theory. But we find that people just start to stretch more and more and their capacity goes up. And you can chart that. That's what we've seen with the people we've been testing. That it, You move along that uncertainty tolerance scale bit by bit by bit. So that's my first one. The second one would be reframe failure, as we just talked about, you know, think about your, you know, failure, what will happen if you fail, you actually be able to cope, is this negative bias slant, what would you tell a friend, and you know, how would you feel if you missed this opportunity? Um, and the same one is I think, you know, is, is about people and knowing you're in it together and that connection you know empathy I study empathy as well an amazing empathy designer called she's called Annie Kuka Tuamala if anyone wants an, an empathy designer um, looking at the importance of empathy and leadership in times of uncertainty mm. and the ability to show that it's okay to have doubts um, and we have cognitive and emotional empathy and that's something again you can train your brain to be better at because the more empathy you have and the more diverse your team um, the more connected they are. And actually what we find is they make better decisions in uncertainty because of that connection, because of that sort of um, complicity between them. So it's really about, you know, this is actually a shared shared process as well, uncertainty. You know, collective intelligence is, is always is always amazing when people feel that they, they are connected and they belong in that, in that organisation. And what about, you know, you talked about humility and I guess letting go of control a little bit and what would be your advice for people founders that struggle to do that I mean I think listening to this podcast hopefully will have shown people that a lot of good can come from that but if someone is struggling with that what's a good starting point for them to to come over that control itself is an interesting it is another response to uncertainty it's a fear response uh it's one of the sort of fear response that often leaders take because they feel that it is their responsibility to take control um, and again, you know, understand this is just a fear response. And what's interesting is, you know, there's a lot of things like mindfulness, you know, breath work technique, which all have very amazing scientific, valid, uh, you know, things behind them. And what we find, you know, is that, you know, if you have these points of reflection, if you have these intentions, if you have mindfulness in your daily practice, but over time, you ma- you have this emotional resilience which means that you're not going to be grabbing onto control as much. You'll be able to have more flex within you. Uh, and it is, it, you know, as amazing as it is, it's back to that sort of piece about, you know, well-being and are you taking time out to reflect? Are you, you know, these to change your brain and your ability to, to embrace uncertainty and all the benefits that can have, all the innovation and creativity and great decision-making, you know, you need to change the wiring of your brain. And that's done just habitual mm. bit by bit, slowly by slowly, by taking time for reflection, you know, learning how breath work can be used in, in times of fear, understanding what's happening. Uh, and you find that when people then have better resilience and emotional regulation, their need for control just drops away. Um, mm. So, you know, well, my favorite thing to study was that people were still increasing on these scores sort of, you know, six weeks beyond. Um, so it is, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing to, to sort of have as a target for 2022, learning how to embrace uncertainty. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we, I think that after 2020, we were like, 2021, everything's going to be fine. I think everyone kind of came into 2022 with this a little bit, like you said, they kind of had embraced it being like, well, let's see how it goes. And I think that that feels horrible, but I feel like maybe as a generation, we're going to have a much better resilience to uncertainty because of going through this and knowing that ultimately everything ended up okay and we're fine, you know? The acceptance piece is phenomenal. And that's where we work with a lovely Buddhist uh, monk called called Dean Dongs and he's always sort of chuckling away. And, you know, he talks about the beginner's mindset that, you know, and that's an amazing challenge, isn't it? How can you be a great leader, but also sort of inhabit the beginner's mindset? And I think that Mm. dichotomy is incredibly important because in that sense, you're always listening, open, getting great information, listening to your body. And that's when you make the best decisions. And that's really when you lead the best teams as well. And finally, you know, if someone, you've listed so many great things that people could do, but if someone wants to do one thing just today, just to start on this, because rewiring your brain sounds like a pretty big task, especially if we're not (laughs) brain surgeons. But what's one small thing people could do today just to start changing those habits and start to feel the benefit? a really good one actually I think it would be to reckon the thing that helped me the most was recognizing the way I react to things recognizing Mm. how I react whether that's you know going as far as writing as an emotional diary about it or just noticing when uncertainty comes up and you feel ill at ease you know it's not necessarily a huge fear response it's just ill at ease what do you reach to do is it that you suddenly go, I'll check my emails to avoid it? What are you doing to try and avoid it? You know, is it that you, you just go and have a chocolate biscuit or a glass of wine? Mm. Is it that you go, I'm going to do this for someone else because I'll feel better? Because we get dopamine, yeah. this reward for staying safe and we'll find anyway. And once you recognize that, you see it everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And that's the first moment you have in uncertainty to change what you're doing, to go, okay, I'm not just going to bury myself in my inbox. I'm going to just think about this for a bit. Uh, and think about the possibilities and opportunities. So I think it's that recognizing your reaction gives you the first step because that's the moment where you can respond rather than react. Mm. Amazing. I'm definitely thinking, (laughs) oh gosh, I'm going to find myself in my email uh, procrastination later (laughs) and remember this. And what was the word that we all need to be using in Scrabble that in a couple of years that are going to help us win? Interoception. So yeah, interoception. The ability to sense the physical sensations linked to your thinking and emotions. Fantastic. I love that. <laughs> Catherine, I could chat to you all day. This is absolutely fascinating. Where can people find you, support you, get involved in the project? How yes. can how can people get involved? We'll do we're gonna be we're gonna be running the series about five times this year. The first one's coming out in February. So tickets are up on uncertaintyexperts.com. Um, it's like three hours across three weeks, plus in-between content. But the best bit about it, well, for me anyway, is that you get yourself tested. Um, it's just very mm. quick online tests at UCL. And you can see your your tolerance of uncertainty change. The reason why it's really important for me to do the shout out is because all science is skewed by male demographics. And also, mm. as well as having the scores yourself, all the information, the scores are going to go to big research projects. Uh, it's the biggest, really, experiment uncertainty at UCL. And one of the crying shames of science is that uh, unfortunately there's more men do all the tests always than women. Wow. So we need to get more representative like insight from the science world because it was, it was originally because people in the psychology labs just used to test on themselves and they're all men. Sure. Um, you know, oh, so gosh, we, need we all need more to women. get signed up. Yeah, Sounds so please sign up. But also do come and join the course. Yes, yeah, it's, it's www.uncertaintyexperts.com. Hopefully, unlike Brilliant. me, you can sell uncertainty. It's been the bane of my year. <laughs> 
Well, I'll put it in the show notes and people can join. That's amazing. Brilliant. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Bossing It podcast. If you can spare a couple of seconds, we would love it if you could rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening as it helps other people find the podcast. If you want to hang out with us online, you are more than welcome. You can find us on all socials with the handle at Flourish. Please tweet us, DM us, get in touch however you'd like. If you have any questions about the topics we cover in this series or if you'd like to nominate a guest. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.